What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you about 30 minutes after the Clippers took game one against Phoenix. By golly, they did it. And I have been as negative as anyone, basically, in Clippers Twitter, universe, whatever you want to call it. And I predicted the Clippers to lose in five And I got it shoved right back in my face. But you know a man that believed in the Clippers despite his negativity during the season? That's my co-host, Matt Mattawarren, who picked the Clippers to win in six. He had the positivity, and he is back on the Ethos Clippers podcast. Matt, how are you, my friend? Sports Ethos Clipper Nation, Brandon Marcus, I'm great. Because the Clippers did the improbable, the impossible. The inconceivable. They pulled off a win. Game one in Phoenix against the dreaded Suns, against the underhated Suns. They did it. I had the Clippers, I think, in seven, but now I'll take six. Did you have and seven? I, I thought you said six, but I, I listen, if you had seven, that makes sense too. I said seven, but okay. now that they've won this first game, maybe maybe six is the pull. But it was it was a fantastic night. My heart is still beating, like I said, and we were texting a million miles a minute. It was a roller coaster ride, and I was happy to be there for it. So this is the rare game where I was not really able to watch a whole lot of. Um, I was out tonight and could not be at a TV with volume. Um, I did watch the last couple of minutes, and I got to tell you, man, you look at the box score, and you see Russell Westbrook, and you see that he only made three of his 19 shots, and immediately you would think he's a scapegoat in any sort of loss. But you go and scroll Twitter and talk to you as well. And for some reason, he somehow became the hero despite missing 16 of 19 shots because of incredible rebounding. I believe he had five of his 10 rebounds in the fourth quarter, eight assists, two steals, three blocks, none bigger than the block on Booker where he was able to get that block at the end when he went for the quick two, saved it, and the Clippers were able to get free throws to win it. Let's start there. Let's start with Russell Westbrook. Before we get to Kawhi Leonard, before we get to Eric Gordon, before we get to Norm Powell, Russ, man, you and I have already, I feel like, made our mea culpa on Russ. And frankly, I think he needed to to earn that, by the way, because of what he had done in his previous several stops. I mean, I believe this is now his sixth team in five years. And so I thought rightly we were very hesitant with him coming to the Clippers and the way he has played recently, especially with the Lakers. But he has bought in and done what he has needed to do. And the Clippers needed rebounding from the guard spot because they have not gotten rebounding at other positions this year. And they certainly got it today with Westbrook. And the defensive intensity that he brought in this game is something that has been lacking from a team that doesn't show much urgency but man, curious to get your thoughts on Russ. I mean, Russ Russ put it in Russ's own words, quote, at this position, humbly speaking, nobody is a better rebounder than me. That's what Russ said. And, you know, Russ is always humble. Humbly speaking, he's correct. He was a monster on the a monster in this game. And three of 19 was terrible. We I owe him just as, as big of an apology as you or as anybody, because I thought there was no way Russ was going to contribute in a positive way to this team. Even tonight, I'll read you a couple of quotes from my my thread with some people texting tonight. No more mid-rangers, Russ. Hmm. Russ, stop it. Get Russ out of there. So the shooting was, we were, we were laser-focused on his shooting, but it, we came to realize that, oh my God, you were right. His intensity, 
the defense, the disruption. He was he had some blocks from behind. He was poking balls away uh, from behind. He was he was everywhere, and he was not giving up on any plays, which was which was the big thing. And his energy, his intensity, he was monumental out there. No way, no way the Clippers get get this win without Russ. Not even close. Yeah, the shooting was not there. It was terrible. But he did hit two big, 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 big clutch free throws uh, at the end of the game with about nine seconds left to to close out this game or to at least put the Clippers up in a position to win. Russ was great. I can't believe it. It's it's actually it's kind of shocking to me. I'm I'm sort of beside myself. I'm not without words because I have a million things to say how great Russ was. The rebounding, the steals, the blocks, the shooting was terrible. But you're, I think we're going to have to live with it for for the rest of this series because he makes such an impact, us, uh, you know, he, between him and Terrence Mann, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, Chris Paul, they did a fantastic job. And, and Russ was just everywhere. He was, he was a dynamo on the court. It was pretty obvious once you started watching, especially in that second quarter and especially in, in the or second half, and especially in the fourth quarter. There's no way the Clippers get the win without one Russell Westbrook in his humble opinion the best rebounder at his position I'm glad you brought up the free throws because everybody's going to talk about what he did rebounding obviously defensively as well but this is a guy that had missed 16 of 19 shots and was 0 for 1 from the free throw line and he goes and makes both in a I believe it was a one-point game so for that to occur is really impressive I mean you look at Russell Westbrook and what he has done this season and you see him struggle at the free throw line. You see him struggle from the field and he's someone that still believes in himself. And you brought up that quote and what he said post game. And for him to go to the line with 17 seconds left, 109, 108 and hit both free throws tells you all you need to know about this guy. And it's interesting. You said they're gonna have to live with that. Because in a different game, they can't live with that. I mean, realistically, you can't have your point guard miss 16 of 19 shots. I think what the Clippers can do, though, is they can bottle up and take forward everything that Russ did uh, that wasn't shooting and take that to the next game. And perhaps some of the shots that he was taking, he knows not to take for the next game. And it can go to somebody else um, because you, you can't go 3 of 19. Like, that's you're not going to win many games that way. And we'll talk about the Suns later, but they had a really rough start. And that's something the Clippers really needed was a good start. And for the Clippers to go up by 12 after one and to have that energy from Westbrook certainly helps. And it's, it's wild how this guy has suddenly become someone that the Clippers have needed in times where the energy was lacking. And it's so wild looking at the plus minus in this game because in our podcast with Shane, we were talking about how depth doesn't really matter, but it turns out it does because if you don't have a good bench unit, which we saw today, the Suns don't, then in those eight to 10 minutes where your stars are not on the floor, that can turn the tide of a game. And that did a couple of different times today. And then it goes late in the game, and it's really just one possession at a time with both team stars. And Russ was able to get the plays when the Clippers needed it. Um, I I think that we'll see in a game or two this series that 
some of this stuff by Russ may cost the Clippers, but this is what you get with Russ. And, and it, go ahead. I was gonna say, and I think by live with it, I don't mean the three of nineteen because you're right. That is, it's it's out of the ordinary that you would win a game when your point guard shoots three of nineteen. I think I mean that he was in there for thirty six minutes. He did make some bonehead mistakes, but his defense is and his rebounding, mm-hmm. especially his offensive rebounding, of which half of his rebounds came on the offensive end the Clippers throughout this series are going to have to live with some of those boneheaded mistakes, some of those bad shots, not this many of them. And like you said, there will be a course correction, I'm sure, because he's going to watch the film. Ty Lue's going to watch the film with him and say, these are some of the shots you cannot take. But the Clippers are going to have to live with him being on the floor for as much as maybe not 36 minutes, but for a significant period of time going forward because he makes such an impact. I think that's what I meant by him being on the floor. So what they have to live with, not the three of nineteen. We don't want that again. No, but with if if a guy contributes elsewhere, then that's yes. fine. Um, let's talk briefly about Kawhi, and we've talked about this on the podcast now that we hated what we saw the first couple of months, and it was really hard as a fan to be patient with Kawhi Leonard as he was going through all of these rest days and he was going through the coming off the bench initially and then he got hurt and then he's sitting back to backs and it was frustrating as a fan because you want Kawhi to play but we saw today that this entire season was building up to tonight it was building up to him able to play 40 plus minutes and to carry the load offensively and late in the game Kawhi got double and triple teams and He tossed it up top to Eric Gordon, who hit a monster triple. And we've needed the role players to contribute for the Clippers this entire season. And especially when one of Kawhi or PG is out. Because I talked about it with Shane, that my biggest concern was that the Suns would go and double and triple team Kawhi. And the Clippers would struggle to find offense. But the Clippers had some timely shots. But man, Kawhi Leonard, to do what he did and to carry the Clippers offensively, it's unbelievable to have a guy like Kawhi on your team. Like there are teams that have, obviously look at the Lakers. They have LeBron James. You look at back in the day, the bulls had Michael Jordan. You say, man, it's crazy that we had that guy on our team. Like the Clippers having Kawhi Leonard as someone who can take over a ball game. Like they haven't had that. Like they've had Blake Griffin. He's been really fun to watch, but he has only taken over a game like this and been as good as Kawhi Leonard. Chris Paul, in his prime, could do it when he needed to get shots late, but throughout the entire game as a scorer, the Clippers haven't had a guy like that. Um, I don't know if you can think of anybody, but it's, it's wild to have a guy like Kawhi, and I think patience pays off, and I think that was the key here tonight, Matt. Yeah, patience is a virtue, and Kawhi was, he was amazing on I mean, yeah, he carried the offensive load, 38 points. He was uber efficient, as we've come to expect. But what he was doing on the defensive end, just is just disrupting, like totally uh, messing up, messing up uh, Devin Booker's flow. I mean, Devin Booker had a great game, but there were a couple of things. I mean, Kawhi's diving on the floor for balls. He's getting his hands everywhere. He's ripping balls after people get rebounds. So he was just the Kawhi that we all expect and love, and we're going to look back on this era and say, we can't believe we had a guy like that on the Clippers. And it was so interesting with Kawhi and speaking of the defensive end, the, the matchups to start the game. I mean, Kawhi started on Craig, you know, uh, Zeus, or I'm sorry, Kawhi started on Mm Aiton 
and Zoo started on Tory Craig, which was this crazy little matchup, uh, this little chess game that Ty was playing. He, and he said, you know, in an interview at uh, after the first quarter, he's like, "We these guys haven't played together very much, speaking of the Suns. We want to see how connected they are, mix it up a little bit. So that little defensive wrinkle, and then Kawhi was just moving all over the place on defense. He was a dynamo, and he... He looked like the best player on, on the floor tonight. Durant had his moments. Durant had he, he Durant was kind of terrible in the first and third quarters. He had his moments. Uh, Chris Paul was not very good, and I think that has a lot to do with the defense of Westbrook, but especially the defense of T Man. T Man and and Chris Paul were were getting into it all game. It was amazing to watch. Devin Booker did his thing, but Kawhi was that steady force that we've always said that center of gravity. That just he he. He led the team on both ends of the floor. That's Kawhi, and then I'm sure we'll get into Zoo and EG and all the other guys, but Kawhi was absolutely amazing tonight. On both ends of the floor, just his hustle, his determination, his passion, uh, you know, calling out when he thought he got fouled, uh, celebrating as, as much as Kawhi can celebrate when he, when he had a great defensive play or an offensive play. It was awesome. Interesting that you brought up Ty Lue, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I think it is worth noting that we've talked about Ty Lu and how this season has not been his greatest. And for him to do what he did with that defensive wrinkle to start, he was pulling out a punch in round one. Like, he was ready to go, and from the get-go, he was not going to allow his opponent to get comfortable. And for him to do that shows you how good of a coach he is at his peak and we saw him play a hell of a chess match against Rick Carlisle against Dallas. And they went back and forth. And for him to force Monty Williams to basically call that timeout, and then the Clippers adjusted out of that, tells you all you need to know about Ty Lue and that he knows this game and he knows how to win a playoff series. And that's one thing that really was not discussed a whole lot in that podcast with uh, Shane is that coaching-wise, uh, the Clippers, I think, have the advantage. Uh, Monty Williams is a very, very, very good coach. But Ty Lue is special, man. And we were talking about him as a top three coach last year. And it, it hasn't been his best year. But for him to do something like that right away, to test the Suns, knowing that Kevin Durant has only started eight total games with the Suns coming into this playoff series, for him to do that means that he's ready to feel out his opponent and trick him right away, as opposed to waiting to make that adjustment in game two or game three where they can get comfortable. To do that right away, that, that's a major tip of the cap to Ty Lue. Um, and I want to, yeah, he, I, I love that wrinkle. And I, 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 I'm curious to see what happens in game two if there are some more wrinkles. I want to go back to what you were talking about, about depth and the bench real quick before we move on, because I'm just looking at it right now. The Clippers bench consisted of Plumlee, Highland, Mann, and Powell. Mm-hmm. The Suns bench consisted of Ish Wainwright, Okogi, Biombo, Jock Landale, and 20, 24 minutes of Landry Shaman and a measly four Terrence Ross. I mean, those bench comparisons, I really do think depth, especially now that the Clippers have taken this first game, depth is going to play a huge issue, or a huge issue, a huge role in this in this series. And I, I do think it is like so, as, as if coaching is, is in favor of the Clippers, then the bench and the depth is just now, we see how heavily in favor it is for the Clippers. I know I know campaign didn't play tonight, but and he's torched the Clippers before, but I don't think that's really gonna swing the balance of power too much as far as the bench rolls are concerned. No, for sure. And I think what's interesting about having the bench do as well as it did today for the Clippers is that 
we know that they've got the bodies that can certainly score and provide energy. And for Terrence Mann and Bones Highland to come off the bench and for Mason Plumlee to be that solid backup center and to dislocate his pinky and then come back in and play. I mean, this is a group that knows how to get it done because frankly, some of these guys have had to start this season and they, they know what they've got to do to win. But what's interesting is that the Clippers and you, you look at the Phoenix Suns starters and you look at their plus minus and Craig was a plus 14. Aiton was a plus 13. Paul was a plus six and Durant was a plus four, meaning that with four of those five guys and, Booker being that minus, who was a minus six, with four of those five, the Clippers were outscored by the Sun starters. So the key, really, what it seems like in this series is that the starters have to stay somewhat close to the Phoenix Sun starters. And then the bench can be the one that puts them over the top. And what we saw early on in this game was Booker with four bench players, and that's not going to cut it. The Suns are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to figure that out because Paul and KD then come back and they start together and they try and come back from a deficit, which they can't continue to do. It's not realistic. So I think that'll be the next thing that'll be interesting to watch in the coaching uh, matchup is how Monty Williams changes his rotations because it, the Clippers bench is better and for Booker to have to carry it all it's a lot to ask of him. And he was good. I mean, he played 43 minutes and he was 10 for 19 from the field, but he didn't hit a three. And Booker's a guy that can certainly get hot from three. Um, and we'll talk about threes a little bit later, but that's certainly something in a series that's going to be this close. It's going to be every minute matters. And when your bench gets outplayed the way the Suns bench got played got outplayed today, you're going to lose. So a tip of the cap again to the Clippers bench and their ability to take advantage against a Suns bench that you read off the names. They're not very good. So the, the bench certainly came to play for the Clippers, and they've got that advantage. And speaking of the starters, you know, much like Westbrook was 3 of 19, you never want that. But that's it's not always going to be 3 of 19. And if you look at the Phoenix Suns starters, Torrey Craig going 9 of 12, that's not going to happen every time either. I'll give Torrey Craig 12 shots every single game of this series. Please let him shoot. As much as he wants, he's not going to hit nine of them. He's not. He's not going to have that percentage. He's not going to be. He's not going to be that. He's not that great of a shooter. Let him shoot from the three. You know, corner threes he's great at, but above the break, no. Just let him keep shooting. I, I was saying we'll live with Torrey Craig shooting any day of the week. And Aiton too. You know, Aiton was eight of sixteen, but a, a lot of that was just these little elbow jumpers that I'm happy to let him take because honestly, as as well as it may look. Like Aiton played with 18 points, eight rebounds, eight of 16. I thought Zoo outplayed him, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. 12 and 15 for Zoo, five of eight from the field. You know, he was two of four from the line, which is fine. But just just the eye test said that Zoo was the better center out there, and and at least the more impactful center for his team. I thought. And that's one of the matchups when I was talking with Shane. I gave the Clippers the edge. Uh, I think Zoo is overall offensively and defensively better than Aiton. So that is certainly going to play a role. And here's what's interesting. And it's you look at the Clippers and you look at what they've done this season and they have been up and down and up and down. And there's been a lot of frustration, but this has always been in the back pocket. And that's been the major frustration that you and I have had is that we know that this Clippers team is good enough to win against the best. We know that. And for them to do this without Paul George, 
tells you, A, how good Kawhi Leonard is, and B, how the Clippers have other guys that are willing to step up. And in a series like this, it's not going to be Russell Westbrook every game. It's not going to be Norman Powell every game. It's going to be someone else. Like, there's going to be a Terrence Mann game offensively in this series. There, There's going to be. Bones Highland may have himself a heat check game. Like, that may happen as well. So, for the Clippers, like, it's going to be everybody. And the Suns, that's not going to be the case. Like, it certainly seems like it's going to be the four guys that are their main four. And that's kind of how they're going to go. And, of course, the Clippers are going to go as Kawhi goes. But the Clippers are just more balanced. Now, one thing I did want to bring up, and I don't have this exact number, and I wish I did. And Adam Osland, I know, is a frequent listener to this podcast. So, shout out to Adam, who's been super optimistic about the Clippers, of course. I mean, he does the uh, pre, post, and halftime show for AM570. And so, he's he's on top of this Clippers team like nobody else. And the one thing that Adam may be able to figure out or somebody else, there are some smart people in Clippers universe. universe. So Russell's 3 of 19. But the Clippers had 15 offensive rebounds tonight. I'm curious how many of those missed shots by Russ ended up with the Clippers getting another possession because of the offensive rebounds. Because if the Clippers, let's say, he missed 16 shots, right? If the Clippers got four or five offensive rebounds off of those 16 misses, then the percentage suddenly doesn't look as bad because you're still getting a second possession from that miss. And the Clippers are a team that has struggled at times the rebounding. But you look at today, and they ended up with 15 offensive rebounds, 48 total rebounds. The Suns had 42 rebounds. If you're going to out-rebound on the offensive glass and in total rebounds against the Suns, then that's going to be a very big key because the more you rebound, the more shots you get, especially on the offensive end. And the Clippers had 93 shots. The Suns had 82 shots. And that's despite the Clippers having three more turnovers. So if the Clippers can rebound like this, they're going to be in good shape. Yeah, Westbrook had five offensive rebounds on his own. And I don't remember any of those being off of his own shots. Of course, they may have been. But of the other 10 offensive rebounds, there's a decent chance, especially that Zoo got some of his four offensive rebounds off of those shots. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. The, I mean... The rebounding is going to be a huge factor in this series, as it's been all season with the Clippers, because we've talked about it before on many podcasts where the Clippers have just gotten annihilated on the boards for some reason and pretty much lost all of those games. But when they can control the boards, they can compete. And definitely when they can control the boards, that's going to be a big plus if the Clippers want to continue this positive momentum and possibly win win in six or seven. Whatever I predicted. By the way, that Booker um, lineup, which I was talking about earlier, that that's what really hurt them um, towards the end of the first quarter. And then also, it, it happened in the third quarter, where Phoenix took the lead halfway through the third, and then all of a sudden, Shamit, Booker, Okogie, Wainwright, Landale, those five, then ended up giving it back. And so that's going to be a problem for the Suns if they don't figure out something. They're going to make a change to that. I, I can almost guarantee it that Monty Williams won't allow that to go for an entire game if it's an issue again in the first quarter in game two. If it's fine, then he'll go with it probably in the third quarter as well. But if this continues to be an issue, he's going to make a change to it. And I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know if that means KD may be coming back earlier or if that means perhaps Chris Paul taking a rest earlier and then coming back to help the end of the quarter. Like they're going to have to do something because... 
the Clippers are going to most likely take advantage of a lineup that's just Booker and four other guys, unless for unless Shamit and Okogi are getting hot from three, then it's a different story. But th- that lineup doesn't seem sustainable for the Suns. So I think that's going to be one of the main things that I'm looking for. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you think that is as big of an issue as I'm making it out to be. It is. You know, it was interesting. Um, but the the Suns actually went small for a short period of time, with, and the Clippers didn't, which you and I talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Where the, the It seems as if the, the Suns, you know, maybe they were trying to bait the Clips into going small. But I wonder if now Monty Williams and the Suns will maybe shift to having Durant at center at some points a little bit, because I don't think they did that at all this game. And if they want to maybe pull Aiton out for a little bit, but not put Biombo in or not put Landau in because obviously those guys can't really hang. Maybe they, they switch to a, to a lineup where Booker's in there with Durant at center or something along, along those lines. I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that next game where they don't necessarily go small, but they go their own version of a death lineup or something. Um, I could definitely see that happening because when they did try to go small, even even though Plumlee was in there at the time, that's when Plumlee kind of thrived, got a lot of his uh, 11 rebounds. And so I don't think that you're right. I don't think the Suns will go back to that Booker and four bench guys again, but maybe like a Booker and KD at the center or something along those lines. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that. I'm really glad you brought that up um, because here's a number for you. 48. How many minutes are in a basketball game? 48. How many minutes did Zoo and Plumlee combine for today? 48. 30 for Zoo, 18 for Plumlee. The Clippers did not go small in this ball game, And that has been one of my biggest gripes with Ty Lue is that he frequently goes small when he doesn't need to. And the Clippers hurt themselves because they do not get rebounds. When they go small, they give up offensive rebounds. You go to an actual center, look what happens. Plumlee had 11 rebounds in 18 minutes. Zoo had 15 rebounds in 30 minutes. If the Clippers can continue to trust these lineups and stick with the center, unless they really need to abandon it, they should have some success. And so I'm really glad you brought that up, Matt. And I'm, I'm glad I brought it up too. And I'm wondering if, uh, if, this, if this, this is the nine, right? Like, because we didn't see Covington or Senior. Um, I'm not, we're not expecting to see Preston, Coffee, Boston Jr., or any of those guys, but Robert Covington and Marcus Morris were both DNP, DNP uh, CDs. So I'm wondering if Plumlee, Highland, and Bones, who, as expected, played 13 minutes, um, just we said probably going to be between 10 and 15, something like that. So that that bored out. I wonder if it's going to be Plumlee, Highland, Mann, and Powell. And if we do see a little bit more of T-Man, because he, played, he did such a good job on CP3, that it, it can't be understated just how how upset Chris Paul <laughs> looked on the floor. I mean, he was throwing elbows. He was pulling T-Man, and to his credit, T-Man was pulling uh, Chris Paul back, doing some doing some old-school Chris Paul moves on himself. He even drew an and-one on CP3 by pulling CP3 into him before he hit the layup, so that was great. And I'm just curious if this is going to be the nine-man uh, rotation moving forward, or if, you know, you never know. T-Lou, like we said, can always mix things up, so you may see Covington thrown in there. I doubt we'll see Senior thrown in there. But I'll be watching to see if Bobkov comes in. Should they need just a spark of defense, another three-point shooter? Like let's say, let's say EG isn't isn't shooting well. Eric Gordon, by the way, you had an amazing first quarter. Mm-hmm. But let's say the guys are just ice cold. Maybe we will see a Robert Covington. So I'll be I'll be looking at that and next Ty, game as well. And Ty Lue said Marcus Morris is going to play in this series, um, and he did not play today. 
and we certainly speculated, you and I did, and then Shane and I did, that he's not going to be a part of this rotation. But he apparently is going to play at some point, and I think that's going to be one of those, hey, if something's not working and we need to make a change, that's when Ty Lue goes to Marcus Morris. You may see him in one of those small ball lineups. But I got to tell you, man, the longer that he sits as a DMPCD, the longer that he's not going to play and he's going to scare the crap out of me when he does come in because he's not used to being one of those guys that can sit and then pop off the bench and play and contribute when needed upon like that. That's something that Terrence Mann can do, you know, where team team man is used to playing those limited minutes and then popping off when he needs to play 30 minutes. Like Marcus Morris is not going to go and be that guy that gets a DMP CD for three or four games and all of a sudden maybe becomes that 20 minute guy. Like I don't see that happening. I hope to be wrong if that's the case, but it's very difficult to ask a guy who has been one of the top two scorers on his team for a long time to then come and do that. It, you see where I'm coming from here. It just seems like you're putting him in a bad spot. And it's not fair to him to have to do something like that when he hasn't done that. I don't think his entire career. Right, it's like a break glass in case of fire, and 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 behind the glass is a squirt gun. And for I mean, you know, not to say anything too negative about senior, but it's just he's not that doesn't he can get hot, right? He's very streaky, but he, I, I I agree with you. He's not that kind of guy that's just going to come off, be ready, and make a huge impact in the game. I don't think, but break glass in case of emergency. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Hopefully, the emergency doesn't even happen. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, and I think this is going to be the nine-man rotation. We'll obviously see what happens. I mean, there there are changes in a series. Like, you, you make alterations if something happens. You lose a game, you make changes the next game. And I, I don't see the Sun struggling as much as they did in game two. But the Clippers have found a little recipe here with good rebounding, not turning over a ton. 13 turnovers is not great, but it's not horrendous. And they've got that energy that they have sorely missed many times this season. And we talked about it as well when you and I were talking about the series that, um, and I talked about Shane as well. When you look at matchup wise, you said you weren't really that scared of the Suns because they're a team that hasn't really played much together. And also like, they're not going to fly up and down the court on you. Like Shane and I were talking about how Darren Fox, like that's a guy that's going to scare the living piss out of you because he's going to go fast And we saw what the Warriors faced when they faced De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter and what the Kings can do. Like, Phoenix doesn't have that. Phoenix is not going to run up and down the floor on you. Like, they've got, they're more methodical. They've got Chris Paul, who's very methodical. Kevin Durant, very methodical. They're not going to go up and down the floor, whereas the Clippers have Westbrook, Highland, and Mann, who will gladly go up and down the floor. So when it comes to that energy and the athleticism, the Clippers have an advantage, which they don't have against many other teams. So when you look at the matchup, you may have been onto something here. And let's first of all say that let's not overreact to one game. But when you do win a game, there's a reason for it. And I think that's certainly something that we need to talk about is that the Clippers have certain advantages and they took advantage of them in this game. And I think that athleticism and the ability to run up and down the floor and have those guys who will give you that lift is certainly something that could be pivotal in a series like this. And I will say this to Clipper Nation. Feel free to overreact a little bit tonight. We've earned it yeah. because of this season. Just react, overreact a little bit. Not too much. And then we'll we'll get our heads straight tomorrow and figure out what's going on Tuesday. 
But um, I do agree with, with what you're saying about the speed. And I, and I, especially with Westbrook and man, that duo really uh, flanking CP3, just getting into his grill, like I was saying, staying up on him, being, fit, being very, 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 very physical with him, able to fight under whatever screens or over whatever screens that they may set for him. I think those two are going to be pivotal just on the defensive end. I mean, we know what Westbrook did against Booker at the end and just throughout the game. But on Chris Paul alone, and I, I'm going to say it again, I just cannot speak to how great, in his 24 minutes, that I thought, of, of, just what a great job T-Man did on CP3 and the energy running up and down the floor. Like you said, like those guys can get up and down, bones included. I mean, even Plumlee has a little bit of pep in his step. You know, not all that much, but when he, when he plays point Plumlee, sometimes you see a little burst. But T-Man, bones to a lesser extent because he's not going to play as much and. Westbrook those guys are going to give them fits and against like yeah like you said and like Shane was saying and like we all were saying against a team like the Kings man they're just it's they're going to track meet you to death and the Clippers really actually don't even have the personnel to match that so against this Suns team you know it could be I don't want to say an advantage but it's not as scary as maybe a track meet against somebody like the Kings might have been. I want to bring up a number from Justin Russo, who always comes up with some really good nuggets on Twitter at fly by night since acquiring Kevin Durant at the trade deadline, 40% of Phoenix's shots have been non-restricted area two pointers. So that is outside the restricted area, which if you know, the restricted area, obviously inside the paint, that number skyrocketed to 70% in game one, 70% of their shots were non-restricted area two pointers. I mean, they were not attacking the glass. So despite the Suns making 49% of those in game one, he said the Clippers will be more than happy to live with that profile. Since acquiring Kevin Durant, the Suns have seen roughly 32% of their field goal attempts come as three-pointers. That number is 23% in game one. And so three-pointers is something that we talked about when previewing this series, is that how many times did we look at the three-ball in Clippers' losses and say, yeah, that makes sense, five for 23, yeah, that makes sense. And then the Clippers go and shoot 40%. or like 11 of 25. Yep, that makes sense that they won. Like the three ball is going to be big. So you look at the three ball and Justin brings up a great point and he's right. Three versus two. The Suns are a jump shooting team. The Clippers are a team that has a ton of guys that can shoot the three ball. And we talked about Westbrook's ability to get in the paint and spray. And Eric Gordon's ability to get in the paint and spray. And that's always been the key for the Clippers when they're doing well, is they're making their threes. And I mentioned this several times in this podcast, and Noah and Adam have talked about this on the radio side, that the three ball is so critical to the Clippers' success. And when you're going to play a team that is as good as a jump-shooting team as the Suns are, you need to outscore them. And you're not going to outscore them by shooting twos because you're not going to match them. So When you look at Kevin Durant, you look at Chris Paul, you look at Devin Booker, they're too good inside the arc. But you can outmatch them when you hit a three and they hit a two. Because guess what? Three threes, they've got to hit four to five twos to all of a sudden be right there with you. So if the Clippers can shoot the three ball well, and you look at today's game, and the Clippers didn't shoot all that great 10 of 31, but they had more threes. They had 10 threes made compared to just six made for the Suns. Then you're going to have a chance to win the ball game. And again, it just goes to that simple 10 versus six. And if the Clippers can keep doing that, then they'll take that 31 attempts versus 19 attempts. 
So the three ball is another thing. We talked about rebounding. I think the three ball is certainly something that we're going to keep an eye on the rest of the series. The three ball, and I think the free throws were a bit of an outlier as well, where the uh, the Suns took 33 free throw attempts tonight, made 26, and the uh, the Clippers took, I'm looking at this, 29 and made 23. So, you know, fairly even in the attempts, but for a jump shooting team, like you're saying, and a team that doesn't, really get inside the paint that much that's kind of a lot of free throws for the phoenix suns so if even that can be limited because i i don't know the number offhand but i guarantee you that in average 33 free throws a game or even make 26 of them there's no way uh just knowing that they shot all the, all of those shots outside of the paint yeah and from the three there's no way that they took that many free throws per game so those get limited as well and you're taking points away in that respect so I think there's even more to even more like you just to add on to that. There's more to improve on at, moving forward in the series. So take that away, limit that. That's even more of a bonus for the Eclipse. Yeah, and you'd also expect Batum to shoot better than he did. You expect Westbrook to shoot better than he did. Um, I think well, Batum to shoot more than he did. He only shot took three shots. Yeah, and he was one of three. I mean, we've seen those games. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the Clippers really struggle and lose those games. But for the Clippers to win the game, despite Batum being as poor as he was, he only played 21 minutes. And we were wondering where the minutes are going to come from for Norm and for Terrence. And they came at the expense of Nico, Nico Batum tonight. So that was certainly one thing I wanted to watch. And you look at team man and Norm Powell, and they were the only guys that were getting 20 plus off the bench. And so you're wondering how many minutes they're going to get and where they're going to come from. And that could change night tonight. If Nico's having a good a good night, both defensively and offensively, that could change. It could be from Westbrook. It could be from Gordon. It, that's what we were talking about the last couple of podcasts, is that you, you can't predict the minutes for each player because it's going to change game to game. So the last thing I want to discuss uh, before we go too long, and I want people to be able to listen to this, and it's a short turnaround, obviously, because the Clippers have been given no favors at all by the NBA going every other game. Um, or rather every other day, and that's a whole other podcast. And I went on a rant on Twitter if you want to go back and look at that and how the Clippers are the uh, Clippers and Suns are the only series that does not have two days off between one of their games, between game one and game four. So thank you very much for that one. Um, but Norm Powell, I think we can combine with Eric Gordon. Curious to get your thoughts on those two because there were shots that they were missing that were open, um, but they contributed and they made shots when they needed to. So no, so EG EG really really impressed me. Obviously in the first quarter he was great, but defensively he played 33 minutes. Eric Gordon and Norm Powell played 23, and I think that's going to sort of be how it the balance of power as far as minutes is concerned with these two in the game. And I say that because EG just looked more adept on defense to switch and cover any of the guys Durant, Booker, even Torrey Craig if he had to. He can get down low and at least cause some trouble with eight. Norm looked small. When he switched on to Durant and it was over. I mean, he just couldn't do much on defense. So I think aside from being a offensive spark, which Norm is, of course, and hopefully he can get to the line a bunch and do his thing, I think this series is going to lean in favor of Eric Gordon, of course, if he's hitting shots. But defensively, I saw a lot more, at least matchup-wise, from Gordon than from Norm uh, unfortunately, Norm not known for his defensive prowess, although he's not a he's no sib, don't get me wrong, but I think we see more Gordon than Norm. And that, of course, can depend on shooting if somebody's ice cold, as always. But from my look, I think Gordon gets the nod moving forward, at least 
after looking at this one. Yeah, and it's going to still depend night to night how each guy's doing. But we knew when we got Norm last year and when we got EG this year that they've got that three ball in their pocket and they've got guy. They're both guys that can defend and both guys that can attack the hoop and their shooting's going to be huge in this series and two guys that just are veteran players and they know how to get it done. And it's crazy to think that Eric Gordon um, is back with the Clippers after he went through some really bad seasons with LA and he was there at the start. And here we are and it's coming full circle and it's gotta be awesome for him to be able to contribute in a playoff atmosphere with a team that has championship aspirations. So it's awesome for him and for him to hit that big shot at the end when Kawhi was being hounded in the painted area and Kawhi to find him straight away and drill that three, just huge. And so that's one thing that the Suns don't have. They don't have that Eric Gordon. They don't have that Norman Powell. They've got their four stars. And it really seems like in this series that the Clippers are going to be okay. Like Ty Lewis said it, thinks that at postgame that we knew KD and Booker were going to get theirs. Like we knew that. It's about the other guys, and in this game, you mentioned earlier, for the Suns, they got one really good game from Torrey Craig, and he had 22 points, and that's not going to happen every game, but the Clippers are happy to really go after the other guys. They know Durant's going to get his. They know Booker's going to get his. It's just about not letting the other guys get theirs, and for the most part, the other guys didn't get theirs tonight. And for the Clippers, they're always going to have those guys that contribute. I mean, you look at their team, and they had five guys in double figures. And Kawhi is hopefully going to do this every night. I mean, I think it's a lot to ask him to do it every night. But you you get other guys chipping in. You get EG with 19. You get 12 for Zoo. You get 10 for Man off the bench and 14 for Pal off the bench. Is a recipe for success. There's certainly optimism now. And I got to tell you, man. I've been, I opened the pod with this. I've been as pessimistic as anybody. And I, I thought the Clippers were going to lose this series in five. I just thought the Suns were way too good. But after this game played out, you see the road to success. I mean, you see it now. Rebounding is going to have to be huge. The athleticism is going to have to be really important going back and forth. The bench is going to have to be huge in those minutes when KD is off the floor and when Chris Paul is off the floor. So there's a route there that I didn't think was there. And we saw it tonight and there's more optimism now. Now, again, we'll see what happens after game two because things could clearly flip on its head. But even if it does flip on its head, we, we now see what the Clippers need to do in order to win a game and they've done it. And now they need three more, Matt. And speaking of game two, I'm going to ask the question that I know me and all of sports ethos Clipper nation is dying to know, will you be canceling your dinner reservations for Tuesday? And watching the game in earnest. Yes, I'll be watching the game. Yeah, I'll be watching. There it is. That's the, what we all want to know. From here on Brandon out. Marcus. Yeah, from here on out. C- couldn't do it for tonight. But uh, from here on out, yes, that will be the case. And I was really hoping the Clippers were going to get that 12 o'clock slot today. But then the Lakers went and lost. Or rather, they won. And so they got put in that slot. But I got to tell you, probably better off the Clippers didn't get that slot. Because they have been garbage in matinee games this season. They're been garbage in matinee games for a while now. So to to get the game a little bit later today was a benefit to the Clippers. And we, we saw them get the win. So we'll take it, man. We will certainly and, take it. And quickly, I'm glad you brought up the Lakers-Grizzlies game because I was concerned. You know, I I, I was a bit pessimistic about this game one against the, Clip, against the Suns coming up. And what happened, you know, Ja hurt his hand. The Lakers uh, won 
not easily, but it seems like the path now is a little easy. And I was pretty concerned that it would be like, see, the Clippers should have tanked to get the seventh seed. I was I was really afraid of that rhetoric happening after if this if the Clippers had lost this game. But since they won, we don't have to hear about that. We don't have to worry about it. So I'm I'm extremely happy for that. Yeah, same here. At Matt Matta Warren on Twitter. I am at BD Marcus at Ethos Clippers for the Ethos Clippers podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast, always does help. If you can retweet, you can like it. That is huge as well. We just appreciate everybody to listen. We appreciate everybody listening to this podcast, and we're gonna try and get one out to you after every single game. I mean, that's gonna be the goal. Uh, may have some guests here and there on the pod. We'll see how it goes, but Matt and I will be here for the the entire way here, and we'll see how long it can go. And there's certainly optimism after game number one. So. Until next time, he's Matt, and I'm Brandon, and go Clips. Go Clips.